Gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Sweet Charity. How are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. I have a couple of quick notes here in the opening segment, and then we are going to dive right into the show facts. For sweet charity, hello, Patty, hello, Benny. I'm waving at you, and you're waving back at me. Oh, wonderful. A trio of wavers is what we be. Yar, har, har. Yo, ho, ho. Didn't I say I had stuff to get to? (laughs) Oh boy. Let's get to it. Okay, so one small correction regarding our Fun Home episode. In Fun Home, Small Allison sings, Ya Papa Needs! Not, Ya Papa Died! I don't know why I remember it as, Ya Papa Died! (laughs) But that is not the correct lyric, and now that we have that on the record, I will apologize to Lisa Crone, I believe is the lyricist from that show. I only did it, I only covered it a couple of weeks ago. You'd think I would... Have that right at the tip of my tongue. But I have to focus on Sweet Charity. I have to push all that Fun Home stuff to the side so I can focus on Sweet Charity. What else do I want to talk about here? Oh yes, of course. The new Broadway in Chicago season has been announced, of course. (laughs) Of course, the shows in the current season have been pushed back into 2022. I believe I will not be seeing any of those shows until 2022, but it is nice to know that a new season has been announced. What are those shows, you might be wondering? Well, we are going to get the Chicago premiere of Paradise Square. We're going to get Oklahoma, the modern barbecue version of Oklahoma. We're getting Hairspray? I don't really know why we're doing a hairspray tour at this point in time, but there you go. I have a feeling that that was an empty slot, and they figured it out. Uh, you want to do hairspray? Ah, uh, sure, sounds good. Hades Town to kill a mockingbird. I'm sorry, Aaron Sorkin's to kill a mockingbird. Ooh la la. And finally, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. I'm not especially excited by this season, but I have absolutely put down a deposit to resume reserve my seats. I want to keep watching musicals in Chicago, and so I I have hitched my my ride, my 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 body to the back of this truck, and it's going to be dragging me for a long time. That's a perfect analogy. Okay, so let's yeah, get the show facts regarding Sweet Charity. My goodness gracious, I'm recording this on a Friday night. I hope I don't get too tired, Patty and Benny. Oh, no. I hope I don't turn into a cranky baby. In all honesty, thank you for listening. Thank you, Patty and Benny, for always being right by my side. I cannot believe that we are recording this on a Friday night. You two are so generous with your time. I really don't. Oh, I don't know if I would do the same in your position, but... 
<laughs> that speaks to, I don't know how that speaks to my character. It doesn't seem to be good. Okay, so let's talk about Sweet Charity. Let's get those show facts. Show me the show facts. Let's do it. Sweet Charity was a 1966 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on January 29th, 1966 at the Palace Theater and ran for 608 performances. The book, which was written by Neil Simon, is based on the 1957 motion picture Le Notte de Cabiria, Knights of Cabiria, which was written and directed by Federico Vallini. The music of Sweet Charity was written by Cy Coleman, the lyrics were written by Dorothy Fields, and the director, actually we have a conceived and directed by credit here, and that goes to Mr. Bob Fosse. Hello, Bobby Bubby. Hello again. Musical director Fred Werner, choreographer Bob Fosse, of course. Scenic design Robert Randolph, lighting design Robert Randolph, sound design N.A. You don't get one this time. No sound design credit. Costume design, oh, we have one of those, Irene Sheriff, and the original Broadway cast included Gwen Verdon, Ruth Buzzy, Elaine Cancilla, Michael Davis, Jean Foote, Helen Gallagher, Eddie Gasper, David Gold, I.W. Klein, James Louisi, John McMartin, Carmen Morales, Thelma Oliver, Harold Pearson, Leroy Reams, Sharon Ritchie, Barbara Sharma, Barbara Sharma, John Sharp, Arnold Soboloff, John Stratton, Bud Vest, and finally, John Wheeler. Not finally, I believe that is not the complete cast, but it was a huge cast. And so I pared it down a little bit. Sue me, sue me, what can you do me? Tony nods. Okay, so Sweet Charity won the Tony Award for Best Choreography, which went to Bob Fosse, and it was additionally nominated for Best Musical, Best Composer and Lyricist, Cy Coleman and Dorothy Fields, Best Actress in a Musical, Gwen Verdon, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, John McMartin, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Helen Gallagher, Best Scenic Design, Robert Randolph, Best Costume Design, Irene Sheriff, and finally, Best Direction of a Musical, Bob Fosse. So, nine nominations in total, but only one award at the end of the evening. I say, but hey, one is better than zero. Okay, let's talk about the plot. Our heroine, Charity Hope Valentine, is a dancer for hire, a taxi dancer, if you will, at the Fandango Ballroom in New York City. Charity is madly in love with her boyfriend, Charlie, and as they stroll through Central Park, she positively showers him with compliments, is what she does. As it turns out, Charlie is not exactly the romantic type. He steals Charity's handbag and pushes her into the lake, ye gods. This attracts the attention of New Yorkers who do nothing to help our heroine, as they are simply interested in a potential drowning. A quote-unquote young Spaniard, this is per Wikipedia, eventually plucks Charity from the water and she makes her way to the Fandango for another shift. The Fandango Ballroom Dancers, a group that includes no-nonsense spitfires like Nikki and Helena, are reluctant to believe Charity's version of events. She insists her dip into the lake was nothing more than an accident, and that Charlie actually tried to save her. But Nikki knows the score. You are a fool, Charity Hope Valentine. A big-hearted, naive fool. The manager of the Fandango, Herman, breaks up the chit-chat and sends the women to 
work. There's a lot of sweaty fellas out there who are itching for a dance. Charity completes her shift and proceeds to give all of her money away to weary solicitors. She literally bumps into world-famous movie star Vittorio Vidal, who is arguing with his lover, Ursula. When Ursula refuses to continue her date with Vittorio, he proceeds to sweep Charity off of her feet and treat her to a night of luxury. They eventually make their way to his apartment, where Charity marvels at her good fortune. It does not last! A tearful Ursula appears at the door, which inspires Vittorio to stuff Charity into a closet. Ye gods! Vittorio and Ursula make love into the wee hours of the morning, at which time Charity is thrown out with the garbage. The Fandango dancers tease our heroine once more. Only Charity Hope Valentine could hook up with a movie star and walk away empty-handed. Nikki, Helena, and Charity imagine what their lives could be like if they left the ballroom for good. Herman quickly puts these fanciful ideas to bed. Sometime later, Charity is visiting the 92nd Street Y when she finds herself stuck in an elevator with Oscar Lindquist, a cute but unassuming accountant. Charity helps Oscar work through a panic attack, but when the lights go out, she begins to panic herself. Ye gods, could this be the end of sweet Charity? I've never understood why this is the moment Act 1 chooses to go out on, but who am I to question? Neil Simon. Uh, that makes me sound like a fan of Neil Simon. I'm not really a fan of Neil Simon. Act 2 begins just as the elevator springs back to life. Oscar invites Charity to a church service, which turns out to be nothing less than a wild hippie happening. The church is raided by police, and our ingenues make a break for the subway. Charity lies to Oscar, claiming she works as a teller at First National Bank. Oscar is thoroughly smitten. After a few more dates with Oscar and one particularly awful night at the Fandango, Charity quits her job and tearfully confesses everything to her beau. From the 1969 film adaptation, quote, You know how I earn that money, Oscar? I'm a dance hall hostess. I work in a cheap dance hall. And I dance with strange men. And I drink with them. And sometimes, sometimes, quote, this is the closest Charity comes to admitting she's had sex for money. But Oscar has known about Charity's real line of work for weeks, and he's willing to look past all of that. In fact, he wants to marry our heroine straight away. Yay, gods, Charity's going legit! The women of the Fandango throw an impromptu bridal shower in celebration, but as the evening draws to a close, Oscar makes a terrible confession. He actually is upset by Charity's past. How could he make her happy when she's already been with so many men. His jealousy and bitterness would destroy her. Oscar officially breaks their engagement by pushing Charity into the lake. Did I mention they were strolling through Central Park? Yes, it all comes full circle. Charity's spirit is understandably bruised, but on the plus side, she still has her handbag. Things are generally looking up. In the show's final moments, Charity is suddenly and inexplicably visited by a good fairy. The sprightly figure sprinkles our heroine with stardust and delivers a message. Quote, Dreams will come true tonight! Tonight! Quote, The fairy turns to reveal a sign on her back, which reads, Quote, Watch the good fairy tonight at 8 o'clock on CBS! Quote, Charity shrugs and saunters into the next chapter of her life, as three neon signs provide a final slice of sentiment. Quote, And so she lived, hopefully, ever after. 
Quote, an important note regarding this ending. The good fairy was excised for the purposes of the 1969 film adaptation of Sweet Charity and has not been included in any major production for several decades. I'll give that original ending points for being bizarre, and I'm sure Laffin's Ruth Buzzy was a hoot as the fairy, but come on, that CBS line would never land today. I'm not convinced anyone was laughing in 66. Watch all 23 episodes of The Good Fairy Season 1 on Paramount Plus tonight! I mean, it's just a bad joke is what it is. For the purposes of this week's episode, I began by watching the 1957 film Knights of Cabiria, written and directed as a reminder by Federico Fellini and starring Giulietta Messina, Francois Perrier, Franca Marzi, and Amadeo Nazari, who plays a movie star named Alberto Lazari. I have to assume that's a play on his name. Hosting the Musical Man has inspired me to engage with material I may have otherwise overlooked, and that has proven to be an enormous blessing. Knights of Kiberia is an excellent film, impeccably well-made and thoroughly moving, and if it weren't for this podcast, I most likely would have let it pass me by. Do not let this film pass you by. Julieta Messina's performance as Kiberia is stupendous. Unlike Charity Hope Valentine, Kiberia is explicitly drawn as a sex worker, a woman who fights day and night to maintain her position at the edge of society. Kabiria has a very short fuse, and I loved watching Messina's displays of white-hot anger. At the same time, Messina grants Kabiria a chaplain-esque smirk and tomboy physicality that is incredibly endearing. Her ersatz dance moves are charming as hell, and I can see how they would have informed Fosse's choreography. What I found most chilling and inspiring about Knights of Kabiria is the ending. Kabiria, having sold her home and most of her possessions, bids her old life adieu so she can marry Oscar D'Onofrio, a gentleman who has been pursuing her for weeks. Like Oscar Lindquist of the stage musical, Fellini's Oscar believes he can overlook Kabiria's past, but that faith is soon displaced by a subtle delirium. He grows pale and monosyllabic, and when Kabiria turns away from him to admire a cliffside view, his entire body flinches with a violent impulse. It's clear Oscar's instinct is to kill Kabiria, and when she reads this in his expression, he steals her money and flees into the woods. Kabiria is left with nothing. As she stumbles through a group of joyful teenage partygoers, one young girl captures her attention with a greeting. Buonasera! I know I am butchering that pronunciation, you'll have to forgive me. Kabiria smiles and looks directly into the camera as we fade to black. Fellini's poignant finale served as an inspiration to Fosse and screenwriter Peter Stone when developing Sweet Charity for the screen. Having discarded Neil Simon's Good Fairy, the movie musical ends with Charity finding comfort in a band of hippies. Fosse assumed Universal Studios would reject this sequence and demand a conventionally happy ending, which led him to film a scene in which Oscar and Charity reunite at the last minute. Thankfully, both Fosse and Universal hated this option, and the hippie ending has since been adapted by several revivals of the stage musical. But what 
what else did I get into? What else did I do? Well, I listened to the 1966 original Broadway cast album of Sweet Charity, as well as the 1967 original London cast album. I then watched the 1969 film adaptation written by Peter Stone and directed by Bob Fosse as a reminder. The film stars Shirley MacLaine, John McMartin, our old friends Ricardo Montalban, Sammy Davis Jr., Cheetah Rivera, as well as Paula Kelly, Barbara Bouchette, and Stubby K of Guys and Dolls fame. Who doesn't love Stubby K? Come on, his name is Stubby K. Several critics attacked the film, saying it was too indulgent and far too long. I agree with those critics. There's no denying the movie is well made. Fosse was a once-in-a-century talent with a keen eye for editing and composition. Stone's screenplay and McLean's performance greatly improve upon Neil Simon's pithy material. But, 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 there isn't enough meat on the bone to justify a two-hour and 35-minute runtime. No, a lot of the numbers in the second half are a D-R-A-G drag, and you cannot stave off exhaustion with a surplus of empty razzmatazz. I wanted to listen to the 1986 Broadway revival cast album. I seriously considered ordering a physical copy of this recording, as it is not available to stream or purchase digitally, but the estimated delivery date would have tested the limits of our schedule. I'm sure it's a solid recording, considering Debbie Allen and B.B. Newworth star as Charity and Nikki, respectively. Fosse returned to direct and choreograph this revival alongside Gwen Verdon, so the behind-the-scenes pedigree cannot be ignored. Uh, remind us, Jonathan, have you seen the 2019 FX miniseries Fosse Verdon? You call yourself the musical man? Have you seen Fosse Verdon? I have. Have. Very entertaining. Bit of a cad, that Fosse. That's the big takeaway for me. Bit of a cad. I then listened to the 2005 Broadway revival cast album. This revival nearly closed on the road to Broadway when its star, Christina Applegate, broke her foot in Chicago. The understudy, Charlotte de Amboise. <laughs> Oh boy, what a mangling, what a murder I just pulled on that last name. I apologize, Charlotte. Okay, so Charlotte received strong notices upon taking over the role for Christina Applegate. But, 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 producers believed a lack of interest made a Broadway run inadvisable. They even went so far as to announce an official closing date, but Applegate convinced them to roll back this decision just two days later. You know who all also starred in this revival, Ernie Sabella, a.k.a. Pumba from The Lion King. They call me Mr. Pig. Ah. Britney Spears declined an offer. Britney Spears declined an offer to step in for Applegate when the Married with Children star ran out her contract. Ah. Hashtag free Britney. I don't say that sarcastically. When the revival eventually went on tour, Charity was played by none other than Molly Ringwald herself, and Paige Davis, as in Paige Davis, the host of Trading Spaces. Seems like a bit of a stretch, but perhaps our listeners can speak to her talents? I don't know, I doubt it. Davis also played Roxy in Chicago on Broadway, but who hasn't played Roxy in Chicago on Broadway? Janice from The Muppets played Roxy in Chicago on Broadway. It's been a one-size-fits-all part for years. Did Janice from The Muppets really play Roxy in Chicago on Broadway? 
Broadway? Yes, she did, on Broadway. I then watched the 2005 Tony Awards performance of Big Spender, If My Friends Could See Me Now, and I'm a Brass Band. This represents the 2005 revival, of course. I have to be honest, this was the only decision I came to regret while prepping for this episode. William Ivy Long's costumes for the Fandango dancers are like something out of a J.C. Penny Austin Powers pajama line. I have no clue what's going on with Applegate, but I've never heard someone be less in sync with their orchestra. Tempo, Christina, tempo! The tepid response from the crowd is both devastating and totally understandable. Did I consider dropping in audio from this performance? Yes, but that would be unnecessarily mean-spirited, and I'd like to think we are not about that here on The Musical Man. Applegate just revealed her MS diagnosis this past week. There is no need for anyone, me especially, to be going after her right now. But you just did, didn't you? I mean, more than necessary. More than necessary would be unnecessary, is what I'm saying. And then finally, my God, finally I watched two clips from the Ed Sullivan Show. One is from 1966, the other is from 1967, and they both feature Gwen Verdon. In the 1966 clip, she's singing I'm a Brass Band. And in the 1967 clip, she is singing If My Friends Could See Me Now. I simply had to get the taste of that 2000. 2005 revival performance out of my mouth, and this did the trick. For future reference, the film adaptation of Sweet Charity cut the following songs from Cy Coleman and Dorothy Field's score. Charity's Soliloquy, Too Many Tomorrows, and Baby Dream Your Dream. God only knows how Fosse could manage to cut three numbers and still turn in a movie that's over two and a half hours long. The movie also replaces You Should See Yourself with My Personal Property, and I'm the Brave individual with It's a Nice Face. I will, of course, explore how I feel when it comes to a few of these changes, but I wanted to lay some groundwork before we began to sort through everything. That having been said, let the sorting begin! We'll start with a sample from the 1967 London Overture, which somehow manages to outclass the original Broadway recording in terms of sheer buzz, fizz, vim, and voiv.
image of an enormous curtain rising on a wave of explosive orchestral energy. Is there anything more exciting? This overture is like booze in the bloodstream, baby. It's intoxicating. Fandango Ballroom have a long night ahead of them. They need to conserve their energy for the dance floor. In other words, they are not giving away anything for free. You want it? Pay for it, palsy! And while you're over there stacking your slimy little pennies, these gals are going to remain cool, calm, and still as statues, because stillness is the key to their allure. Oh, sure, they might raise an eyebrow or two. They may very well waggle a finger in your direction, but it's all part of the tease. Big Spender is a teaser, a preview of coming attractions, and Bob Fosse understood that. Say wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? I mean, those words say it all. When it comes to the 2005 revival of Sweet Charity, director Walter Bobby and choreographer Wayne Salento either had no regard or clue as to what made this song work in the first place. Their take on the material is about as subtle as a second-rate Shakespearean actor grabbing his crotch to drive home a body joke. These women are giving away everything, and it robs the number of any tension. Whatever happened to life's little mysteries? Consider the 
wine, so let me get right to the point. I don't pop my cork for every guy I see. The original Broadway cast delivers these words as if they're being read from the telephone book. The fabulous, filthy quality of Dorothy Field's illusion doesn't really hit you until a few seconds have passed. But when it hits, holy shit, does it ever work. It hits. If there's a better piece of evidence that proves less is more, I would like to see it. When the 2005 ensemble delivers this same line, they slam the audience with a pelvic thrust that could drive nails through wood. I don't pop pelvic thrust on the pop. We get it. You're talking about sex. Do you think I'm fucking stupid? Can I remember how this song and dance began? Yes, I can. Damn right I can. It began. Well, anyway, you see, there was this man who stopped and asked me if I knew which way was Lexington Avenue. He said, I'm going to Bloomingdale's. I said, I'm going to Bloomingdale's. So we hoofed it over to Bloomingdale's. He wanted to buy some jockey shorts. Then he said, Miss, would you like a cup of tea or maybe some 7-Up? I left the tip, picked up the tab for the jockey shorts and the taxi cab. He dropped me off and I burned. Boy, let that be a lesson to you. Lower the boom, girl, lower the boom. But what can you do when he knocks on your door? Cause they locked him out of his furnished room. So he moves in. I took a hell of a lot of notes regarding Charity's soliloquy, but here's what it comes down to, if I'm being blunt. We do not need this song. It was left out of the movie, it does not appear on the 1967 London recording, and I never mourned its absence. Why? Well, for one thing, it's way too early for our heroine to deliver a soliloquy. Remember how Bernadette Peters delivered an 11 o'clock number 10 minutes into Act 1 of The Goodbye Girl? never made sense to me, and I'm getting the same effect here. I'm confused is what I am. Haven't we already moved past Charlie? Do we not already understand Charity's heart is a doormat for crummy men? We should be moving forward, and soliloquy is slowing us down. And here's the thing. Removing Charity's soliloquy from the lineup does not rob our heroine of any crucial development. The song Where Am I Going is doing the same job as Soliloquy, and it's doing that job better. If you want to showcase Charity at her lowest, wait until Act 2, when an emotional breakdown will actually mean something. I understand this week's subject was meant to be a vehicle for Gwen Verdon, but Charity's Soliloquy is long, unfunny, and a poor substitute for Adelaide's lament. I said it, the Great Oz has spoken. If they could see me now, that little gang of mine, 
I'm eating fancy chow and drinking fancy wine. I'd like those Stombo bums to see for a fact. The kind of top drawer, first rate chums I attract. All I can say is, wow, we look at where I am. Tonight I landed, pow, right in a pot of jam. What a setup, holy cow. They'd never believe it if my friends could see me now. If they could see me now, my little dusty group, traipsing around this million-dollar chicken coop, I'd hear those thrift shop cats say, brother, get her, draped on a bedspread made from three kinds of fur. All I can say is, wow, wait till the riff and raff see just exactly how he signed his autograph. Oh, what a build-up! They'd never believe it if my friends could see me now. Okay, let's see. What do I have written down here regarding if my friends could see me now? Let's see. What do I have? Ah, here's what I have. Perfect. No notes. I could watch Gwen Verdon play with a trick top hat all the live long day. I have nothing else to say. I have so many more monologues I have to get to tonight. Ah, TGIF. Let's keep moving.
Of all the cuts Fosse made when assembling the film version of Sweet Charity, the decision to remove too many tomorrows really stings. This song is stupendous, a true blue, high-class rat pack crooner brought to life by the one and only James Luizzi. I mean, my God, where has this voice been all my life? Ricardo Montalban may not have the vocal range of a James Luizzi, but he should have been given the chance to sing this song on film. You can't put Jamaica's Ricardo Montalban in a movie musical and give him nothing to sing. To do so is a crime, Mr. Fossey, and I am here to arrest you. my very own typewriter on the wood and water coolers and office parties and coffee breaks when i sit at my desk on the 41st floor in my copy of a copy of a copy of dior i'll receive big tycoons and i'll point to a chair i'll say honey while you're waiting how would you like to put it down over there there's gotta be something better than this. Okay, let's talk about it. This song may not rest on the top shelf of top-tier Broadway showstoppers, tippity-top-top-top, but it damn well resides in the general vicinity. I never tire of hearing that glorious, central theme, and when Charity, Nikki, and Helena indulge in their dreams, I feel as if I'm dancing right alongside them. Let's all be hat-check girls. Yes, let's do it. The show doubles down on this theme of aspirational fantasies in Act 2, during which Nikki and Helena sing a duet called Baby Dream Your Dream. That song is pretty darn good, I must say, and I'm all about giving these two characters more stage time, but I'm typically not a fan of covering the same ground twice. We can find another excuse to bring Nikki and Helena to the lip of the stage, I believe in us. I have no idea what that excuse is, and I refuse to brainstorm. You want to brainstorm? Pay for it, palsy.
Daddy started out in San Francisco tooting on his trumpet loud and mean. Suddenly a voice said, go forth, Daddy. Spread the picture on a wider screen. And the voice said, Daddy, there's a million pigeons waiting to be hooked on you. Hit the road, Daddy, leave your common-law wife. Spread the religion of the rhythm of life. And the rhythm of life is a powerful beat. Puts a tingle in your fingers and a tingle in your feet. Rhythm in your bedroom, rhythm in the street. Yes, the rhythm of life is a powerful beat. And the rhythm of life is a powerful beat. Puts a tingle in your fingers and a tingle in your feet. Rhythm in your bedroom, rhythm in the street. Yes, the rhythm of life has a powerful beat. And the Gospel in Milwaukee Took his walkie-talkie to Rocky Ridge Blew his way to Canton Then to Scranton Till he landed under the Manhattan Bridge Daddy was a new sensation Got himself a congregation Built a fort and operation down below With a fire pipe glowing While the muscatel was flowing All the cats were bubble going down below Daddy was a new sensation Got himself a congregation Built a fort and operation down below With a fire pipe Your wings and fly to daddy. Flip your wings and fly to daddy. Flip your wings and fly to daddy. Fly, fly, fly to daddy. Take a dive and swim to daddy. Take a dive and swim to daddy. Take a dive and swim to daddy. Swim, swim, swim to daddy. Hit the floor and crawl to daddy. Hit the floor and crawl to daddy. Hit the floor and crawl to of life lives in the same neighborhood as damn Yankees, Who's Got the Pain, The Pajama Games, Steam Heat, Turkey Lurkey Time from Promises Promises, and Kiss Me Kate's Too Darn Hot. I have referred to these songs as party numbers in the past. If you're a dedicated listener of The Musical Man, you will know this term that I coined. I'm so smart. Okay, so I refer to them as party numbers. Why? Because they inject a shot of wild, senseless energy into their respective shows. Party numbers do not, under any circumstances, move the plot forward and typically receive little in the way of setup. Why are we breaking into a song and dance routine? Because we're performing at a pep rally. We're entertaining the union. We're throwing an office party. We're bored, sweaty, and horny. Bored, sweaty, and horny are especially good excuses for a party number. They may be thin excuses, but they're easy enough to understand and accept, and that's what is important, crucial. This is where the rhythm of life stumbles. Why would Oscar, a shy, cowardly, conservative man, join a Church of the Month club to explore various religions? Is religion important to him? No. Does religion factor into his decision to leave charity? No. So what am I working with here? Nothing? 
I don't need every song to make a dent in the plot, but I do need them to be rooted in character. If anyone should be inviting anyone to give religion a go, it's charity. She blindly pursues that which holds the promise of change. That's kind of her whole deal. Here's my pitch for a revised book. Pay attention, future book writers. Charity already had a plan to visit this church with Nikki and Helena, who told her about it in the first place. She brings Oscar along as a fourth wheel and becomes instantly inspired by the service. This is it. This is what she's been searching for. Faith, community, a guide to better living. But when the cops show up and everyone scatters, our heroine is disappointed to find she hasn't changed at all. No one has. This may not come as a surprise to cynical people like Nikki or Helena, but Charity believed things would be different, better. If you've seen Knights of Kiberia, you'll know I'm pulling most of these ideas from Fellini's church sequence. That is far and away the best part of his film, and those who work on Sweet Charity would be advised to study it carefully. Neil Simon would have benefited from a closer inspection. Oh, if you do plan on utilizing the hippie ending, I would encourage you to invest in a non-hippie aesthetic when designing costumes for the zealots. I'm thinking matching oversized robes and a surplus of medallions, huh? These people should look like they're in a genuine 1960s cult, is what I'm trying to say. One more stray observation for you regarding this number. I'm not sure what it is I'm listening to on the 2005 Revival recording, but it sure as heck ain't the Rhythm of Life. Can we hear it? for this? Who asked anyone to crib from hair? Who was asking for a soggy variation on Age of Aquarius? Explain yourself, Don Sebesky. Don Sebesky. I know you worked on these orchestrations. Uh, what is with this? Change for the sake of change is not something I'm a fan of. Oh, Don. Donnie, baby booby. to think of it how happy I would be if someday I could find the kind of guy who 
What was I gonna do, not provide a sample of Baby Dream Your Dream? I've been humming those sugar-sweet notes all week. Those notes deserved to be heard by you. Sure, the song is derivative. There's gotta be something better than this casts a long, imposing shadow over Baby Dream Your Dream, but I enjoy Nikki and Helena's journey, how their jokes about domestic life are little more than a smokescreen. These tough girls ain't tough girls. They're softies is what they are. Nikki and Helena deserve their own spin-off musical. Something like Wonderful Town or Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, but even raunchier. What do they do in this musical? What is the name of this musical? Hey, what the fuck did I say to you earlier? Come here. Oh, I got you by the collar. You want a brainstorm? You better start stacking those slimy pennies, palsy. Here was a man with no dream and no plan Then one crazy night I found Sweet charity, you make life fun for me Oh, what it's done for me having you around Sweet charity, warm words I've never said Lately pop off the top of my head Incredible if by and by you and I should be we I could touch the sky quite easily so The show's title number is surprisingly the most anonymous tune Coleman and Fields have on offer. I've heard it several times now, and for the life of me, I cannot remember a single bar. Search me! I'm clueless with Alicia Silverstone. I'm certain even the most ardent defenders of the film adaptation would admit Fosse came up short when setting this sequence to film. Oscar and Charity are bounding and leaping about a deserted fire station. They're chasing rubber rainbow tires. Oh, and it's all in slow motion, you say. This is the precise moment I begin to resent the length of the film. It happened the first time I watched this movie a million years ago, and it happened again this week. If you're bored with the idea of a traditional love scene, do us a favor and don't stage the scene at all. 
I'm a brass band, I'm a harpsichord, I'm a clarinet, I'm a Philadelphia orchestra, I'm the modern jazz quartet, I'm the band from Macy's big parade, a wild Count Basie blast, I'm the bells of St. Peter's in Rome, I'm tissue paper on a comb, and oh, of music is pouring out of me cause somebody loves me at last The presentation of I'm a Brass Band on The Ed Sullivan Show is, I assume, a fairly direct reflection of how Fosse staged the number on Broadway, and holy cow is it a lot of fun. The dancers flit on and off stage like well-oiled tin soldiers, and Gwen Verdon has the boundless energy of a hummingbird. I'm engaged, I'm having a ball, etc. Where exactly did this effortless sense of play go when translating the number to film? What caused the bubble to burst? I blame the setting Fosse chose for the movie, which could charitably be described, hey, charity, as a combination airport tarmac and greyhound parking lot. Why in the world would you drop Shirley MacLaine into this concrete abyss? Charity is the modern jazz quartet, Fosse. Hello? She's tissue paper on a comb. What did she ever do to you? As we wrap our deconstruction of the score, I'd like to highlight how the 05 revival concludes with a stirring reprise of I'm the Bravest Individual, a choice I would duplicate as a director. So when I panic and feel... Each day I've come to the end of the line Then I say that fear hasn't licked me yet I keep telling myself You ever have one of those days that was perfect? I have <laughs> This isn't it This definitely isn't it but there's always tomorrow. So when I panic and think each day I'll fail at whatever I try, then I say that fear hasn't licked me yet. I keep telling myself I'm the strongest, soundest, stoical, daringest, feistiest, most heroical.
I'm wearing my conical director's cap. I've been wearing it for a while, actually. Now, all of this said, I'm not entirely sure how I would end my dream production of Sweet Charity. Could you get away with invoking both the hippies and this reprise? Reprise? I've probably been saying it incorrectly this entire time. I like reprise. I'm going to keep saying it that way. Uh-oh. No, probably not. You probably can't get away with both the hippies and this reprise. Too many ingredients in the stew the stone soup, I'm afraid. Heaven help me, but I would like to see the good fairy show up, if only so she can be chased away by cops. That would be a fun little inside joke for all the theater nerds. She's not an actual fairy, you see. She's one of those Central Park weirdos. Okay, let's be serious. The cleanest and most satisfying ending is the reprise of Bravest Individual. Forget the hippies, forget the good fairy. Let us simply rely on a strong musical moment for Charity as she stands on her own two feet. That's all we need. It's comforting to know the 2005 revival wasn't completely devoid of good ideas. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, that's all I have to say regarding the Sweet Charity score. We are now going to hear a fine, fine advertisement from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Yes, hi, hello, welcome to Marichex. My name is Arpad Laszlo, and I just need you to know, ma'am, that before we engage as a customer and an employee, that I took an edible right before you came in, about 10 to 15 minutes, so I'm in the real sweet spot, ma'am. I'm riding side saddle on a white dragon is what I am, and I'm gonna sell you what you need. What do you need, ma'am? Ah, coffee, you say? Well, I've got just the thing. Just to let you know, I don't think I can blink anymore. I am trying to make my eyes close, but my eyes are not closing. Oh my god, my hands are claws is what they are. I'll use my claw hands to pick up this can. <laughs> this can of 5678 coffee. This is Mr. Marichek's favorite brand of coffee. I hear him weeping into his coffee cup every morning. If you listen very closely, you can hear him crying, even though he's not in the store. He's at his house. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. Very good. Very tasty. Shut up. What are you? Who are you? Just take it. Just take the coffee. I'm 16 years old. I've never had an edible before, and I'm freaking out. I'm as hard as a diamond. You get out of here. Get out of here. I gotta close up the shop. Get out! Okay, she's gone. And now the only thing that I can hear are Mr. Marichek's tears. Oh, boy, that's making me harder? Oh, God. Bad trip. I don't like this dragon ride no more. Oh, God. I'll have some coffee. Coffee, that's what I'll do. Oh, five, six, seven, eight coffee. I can count on you to help me come down, baby. Oh, I gotta come down. Oh, God, I have fire in me. Oh, boy. Final thoughts.
thoughts regarding sweet charity. There is no way I'm the first person to have this idea. I'm talking as a director again. But wouldn't it be fun to cast a single actor as Charlie, Vittorio, and Oscar? These men are never in the same scene, after all. So if you're working on a tight budget, this would be an excellent way to pare down the size of your cast. Granted, this is exactly how Cy Coleman's Little Me is typically cast, but who cares? Speaking of tight budgets, I would be all about watching a black box production of Sweet Charity. An intimate venue would only increase the emotional impact of the material so long as you take these characters seriously. Take the characters seriously. It will do wonders for your production, I assure you. Now, in 1966, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was past subject Man of La Mancha, and the additional nominees that season were MAME, we've talked about MAME already, and Skyscraper. Oh, that's the only show from this season of nominees that we have not talked about. Now the question is, does Man of La Mancha deserve to keep its medallion, its best musical Tony Award? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say yes. I think it's stronger overall in terms of book writing, in terms of structure. It's a much more cohesive piece. It's really sticking together. Sweet Charity's got these little lumpy sections that are sort of always threatening to fall off of the bone. And normally, meat falling off of the bone is a good analogy. But in this instance, stay on the bone, meat. Patty Benny, I gotta tell you, I am so fucking sweaty right now. Can we just rank Sweet Charity against all of the other shows we have talked about here on The Musical Man? I'm gonna put Sweet Charity at number 24 between Funny Girl at number 23 and Fun Home, hey, our most recent subject, at number 25. As always, if you want to check out this full ranking, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You will find a link tree link. Go to that link tree link. Hey, you'll find our spreadsheet. The second tab of that spreadsheet will give you all the rankin' goodness you need. All the rankin' bass goodness you need. Okay, so, show-related ephemera. We got something so good for you this time around. This has been waiting in the wings for months, if not years. I found this so long ago. This is a Carnival Cruise Line commercial starring Kathy Lee Gifford. Let's hear it. Its own personality, its own flavor. But the place I like best of all, and I'm sure you will too, is right on board my ship, the Superliner Celebration. If they could see you now out on a punch of cruise, eating fancy food and doing what you choose, I'd like your friends back home to get a good look at the first rate carnival cruise that you took. All I can say is, wow, hey, look at where you Take you where the fun is on a 
three, four, or seven-day cruise vacation to the Bahamas, Caribbean, or Mexican Riviera. Once you've sailed aboard a fun ship, you'll know why Carnival's the most popular cruise line in the world. As someone who used to work on a cruise ship, I can say that this ad is ridiculous. It is complete bullshit. Never, never, never let someone convince you that a cruise ship is luxurious. Perhaps that con would have worked in the 90s, but in the year of our Lord, 2021, we need to stop pretending as if cruise ships are luxurious. They're not, okay? I want to feature, I want to showcase some YouTube comments. Here's one for you. Quote, Notice how the cruise was not fucked up by everybody looking at their phones all the time back then. They didn't even have phones back then. Quote, eh, I'm so smart. <laughs> Here's another one. Quote, say what you want about Kathy Lee Gifford, but she was absolutely stunning and born to wear a bathing suit flawless body, and could have any man she wanted in her prime. Quote. All right. Okay, a little horny. I don't like it, but let's see what this next comment has to offer. Quote. I remember the first time my father and I saw these carnival commercials. He said he would never go on a ship again and proceeded to tell me the horror stories of him in the Navy during World War II. Some things you should not tell a 10-year-old. Quote. All right. Okay, so here's, here's, a, let's, let's, let's cleanse our palate a little bit. Here's one last comment for you. Quote, I miss sincerity in advertising. Quote, there is another ad on YouTube for Carnival Cruise Line starring Kathy Lee Gifford. And in that, oh boy, in that commercial, which is very, very long, it's like nine minutes. I think it's actually not so much a commercial as the onboard video. She sings a song called Think Big, which is so fucking, my God, it is so long. It, it is just so... Horrible, I guess is the word that I might apply to this. And the whole point is that, you know, some people, some people when they think about a vacation, they think small. They have small dreams, small, stupid, insipid dreams about going to the seaside for a week. Oh, that's good enough for me. I'm a stupid, average, mediocre, cuck lip tart snowflake. Fuck! No, 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 that's not for you, Kathy Lee Gifford says. You're on Carnival Cruise Line. You're already on the ship. That means you think big. And to quote the song, okay, think big. Dun, 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 dun. A nine-story lobby and a big brass band. Think big. What? Well, I'm sorry, what? A nine-story lobby? That's supposed to be an indication of fucking class? Oh, what do you imagine when you think of a lobby? One story, two stories, you piece of shit. I'm a fancy person. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh boy, depressing is what it is. I'm going out of my mind. All right, to determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Tom Shit and Bacon Face. The original American Odd Couple. Everyone ready? Then away we go. OK, 
Okay, what is our next subject? Well, it's a 1992 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 569 performances, and the name of the show is Jelly's Last Jam. That is indeed the subject of our next main feed episode, which will drop on Wednesday, September 1st. That's right, we have to take another week off from the main feed so I can focus on a brand new episode of M3, The Movie Musical Man. If you've never heard me talk about this series, maybe you're joining us for the first time. You're thinking to yourself, what the heck is M3, The Movie Musical Man? Well, first, let me just tell you to go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. You're not only going to support the show by becoming a patron, as a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project, a fantastic organization. You can donate $1, $3, $5, or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. Everyone else will be waiting until Wednesday, but you'll have those fine, fine main feed episodes on Monday, two days early. That's what will be the case. That's what will be the case. Uh, I am sweating. My ass is sweaty. Oh, no. You'll also get a verbal shout-out each and every week, so thank you for donating at least $1 a month. Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and and Marisol. Thank you very much again. But we're not done. We're still in the $1 a month tier. You also get 13 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jingle, a Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, and the trailer for Steven Spielberg's adaptation of West Side Story. Now, between you and me, I do have another bonus episode in the works. It's gonna be all about Vivo! Uh-oh! The animated Sony Netflix film Vivo, starring Lin-Manuel Miranda as a monkey with a hat named Vivo. This is going to be a movie commentary, I believe, much like our movie commentary for Arlo the Alligator Boy, so keep an eye out for that. I don't have a firm release date in mind, but that will be the 14th bonus episode. As a $1 a month patron, you also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy. That is a wonderful series, a genuinely delightful series for which I check in with myself via the songs that make me feel more like myself. These are non-musical songs that I do very much enjoy. Enjoy? No, enjoy. <laughs> Oh boy, doy doy doy. No no no. So Radio Boy is 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 it's sorta of like an audio diary is what it is. Oh, but here we go. M3, the movie musical man. You were asking about that. Yes. In the one dollar a month tier, you get access to all eight episodes. No, nine episodes, I believe we have at this point, of M3, the movie musical man, for which we talk about trios of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. The next episode is coming. It's dropping on August. 
August 25th, and the theme for that episode is the Around the World Trilogy. We're going to be talking about Black Orpheus, Lagan, Once Upon a Time in India, and Eight Women, so get ready for that. Now let's say you want to donate $3 a month. You want to go up one tier. Well, in that case, you get everything I've already discussed, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. That's right, any person, place, or thing from the musical theater canon. Do you want to hear from a place? You can. That place will... <laughs> that place will fucking deliver a musical shout-out to you. I tell you that right now. As a $3 a month patron, you will also get Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast. We talk about anything and everything regarding the high school musical franchise. We have not talked about High School Musical, the musical, the series, the holiday special, and we have not talked about Season 2 of High School Musical, the musical, the series, but we will eventually get to that. I really don't know when that stuff is going to come, but trust me, we will cover it at some point. You also get, as a $3 a month patron, a special one-off episode about season one of Julie and the Phantoms, the musical Netflix series. Let's say you go up one more tier to the $5 a month tier. In that case, you get everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. If the musical has been nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and we have not already talked about it on the show, you can choose it. You can make me talk about it. It will skip ahead to the front of the line is what it will do. You also get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes, of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. The Phantom of the Opera addresses the concerns of musical theater's so-called villains. Oh, what a wonderful show that was. You can listen to it right now if you donate $5 a month. But you also get speaking of Broadway in Chicago, you get access to my Broadway in Chicago review series. Eventually, I will see another Broadway in Chicago show, and I will record an episode about it. It's true. Every Broadway in Chicago show gets their own episode. And then finally, you also get Shout About It, Volumes 1 and 2. What are those? Those are collections of 5, 6, 7, 8 coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the podcast. But I'm not done. If you donate $10 a month, this is top-tier shit you're going to get. You get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. You get Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club. That is a special series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were snubbed. They were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And finally, fucking finally, 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 you get access to Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. We have... Six episodes so far, and we're going to produce another six in the future. We have talked about Emoji Land, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and A Strange Loop. My god, I'm exhausted. As I mentioned, my booty is sweaty, and I, I feel like I'm going to faint talking about all those wonderful rewards you shall receive as a patron. So please, 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 please become a patron today and support the Okra Project. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, here's Here's something free you can do to support the show if you can't afford to become a patron. Hey, just write us a five-star review. Write us a five-star review. We have 50, we want 60, and once we get to 60, I will record that episode.
episode about Disney's Zombies franchise, which I have been teasing our audience with for 32 years. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Email me about anything you want, your thoughts, your takes, your opinions. How do you agree with me? How do you disagree with me? Let me know. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny, my goodness. Oh, the support that you lent. How could you be listening to me this entire time? I've been tugging on my hair. I've been waving my waving my little hands and my little wrists like I'm a little boy. I'm a menace. I'm a menace to society. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. she stumbles through a group of joyful teenage partygoers, one young girl captures her attention with a greeting. Buonasera. 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 I know I am butchering that pronunciation. You'll have to forgive me. So now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this video tour of the Carnival Destiny the largest and most spectacular ship in the world. To people with small expectations, simple vacations will do. A week by the seashore, they're certain will restore the strength they need.